Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. So here we are in the middle of a series called Scars. I shared with you last week, I went on a climb, actually two 14ers at one time. It was longer than I thought it would be, harder than I thought it would be. The backpack was heavier than I thought that it could be, and life is sometimes like that. But looking back, when you've climbed a mountain, that sense of accomplishment, you realize it's all by the grace of God, and God will take you to that place over and over again in your life. A mountain, you can't go around it, you can't go through it, you've got to somehow climb it, you get to the other side. that trial, that tribulation, and you realize it's but by the grace of God. We've called this series Scars. Scars all have a story. Scars tell a story of suffering. And the more you go through life, I'm convinced we're going to bear scars, scars on top of scars. I've told you, I had a scar on my knee from earlier this year, chainsaw, 2022. That scar's on top of another scar, ACL injury, football, 1987. I've got a scar on this knee, ACL injury, 2004, skiing. I've got a scar on this wrist, church camp, 1983. I made a diving play, caught it. It was amazing, opened up my wrist. I've got a scar right here on my thumb, 1978, first pocket knife ever. It was a gift. I was whittling the wrong way. Knife slipped. I've got scars on top of scars. That's how life is going to be. But here's the reality. Scars are a wound that has been healed. See, this series is really about healing. How can we find healing from the injury and the wounds inflicted on us by others or by us on ourselves? It's really a scar to the heart. I'm talking ultimately about the injury and the scars that we bear inwardly. And the Apostle Paul is looking back at a mountain he's just crossed. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He's actually writing a letter to the Corinthian church. And he's looking back at a mountain that he's just been over. It was a mountain of persecution, trial, tribulation, and that mountain of tragedy and tears that he just passed through as a gospel missionary. And he's trying to encourage the Corinthians in their scars by demonstrating how God himself has helped him bear his scars. It says these words in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, Paul gives our God two titles in one verse. He says he's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now, look at what he says here. Who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And that's what Paul is now doing. He's trying to comfort the Corinthians in the same way God has comforted him in his trial and tribulation. As we study here, an open letter to every Christian from every generation. I want you to see three things God promises in the midst of our suffering when we're bearing the scars of life, of being born into a world that is cursed by sin. Number one is this. God promises 
to comfort us with a supernatural comfort when we suffer. Now, the Apostle Paul uses a Greek word here. It's the very same word that Jesus uses in John 14 and John 15. As Jesus is speaking of the Holy Spirit, he made a promise. As I ascend back into heaven, I'm going to send another. He says, another comforter. This word is often translated as comfort or help. Uh, what God is teaching here is that God gives us, through the Spirit of God, a supernatural help, a supernatural comfort in times of suffering. It's uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 gives us the fruit of the Spirit when we are in control and under control of the Holy Spirit. You bear the ninefold fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, and the fourth is long-suffering. See, the ability to suffer long, a supernatural ability to suffer long, to suffer long, long suffering. And what God is promising is this is a supernatural something. As a child of God, you have the Spirit of God within you that's going to comfort you and help you to suffer through whatever you have to. And then he goes on, verse 5, you've got the Spirit of God, you also have the Son of God. It says, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. In the very same way that Jesus suffered for you, he now lives in you to comfort you when you too suffer. It's what Jesus said in John 16, 33. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. The promise is not that he's gonna deliver you from the tribulation, but rather deliver you in the tribulation and that even when you suffer, you can be an overcomer. The reason why is Jesus suffered, but he overcame, which means if you're in Christ, even when you suffer, you too can be an overcomer. You see, that is the promise that he makes to every single one of us as the redeemed of God. Now listen very carefully. Healing comes by God's grace appropriated by faith in God's promise. And so I want you to see that there is a process you go through to be healed from injury. And guys, the hardest scars we bear are not the ones that we bear outwardly. The scars that we bear that are the hardest to bear are the ones we bear inwardly. I'm talking about the scars of sin inflicted on our hearts, the scars of sin on our soul, either sin committed by us or sin committed against us. And you see, the reality is you can't be healthy if your heart isn't healthy. It says in Proverbs 4.28, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues of life. Meaning the life you live outwardly will be reflected of your heart condition inwardly. And every single day, the world is assaulting our hearts, inflicting injury on our hearts, either by things we have done, a self-inflicted injury, or the thing others have done an injury inflicted on us. I want you to see, healing comes, regardless of what you've been through, by God's grace appropriated by faith in God's promises. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you are saved through faith. You see, in the very same way that you receive forgiveness of sin and you've overcome sin's penalty because you believe what God said about himself, you believe what God said about you, and you believe what God said about your sin, and you believe what Jesus did, what he would do. You see, when you put your faith in what God said, he forgave your sin by grace through faith. In the very same way you got salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, you get through that trial or tribulation by grace alone, through faith alone. It's when you focus on the promises instead of on the pain. 
I told you last time, in times of suffering, there's always two agendas. There's one of two outcomes. Either Satan is gonna use suffering to try to ruin your faith, or God's gonna use that same suffering to refine your faith. In that moment of tribulation, trial, pain, how you respond will define the outcome. It'll either be God's or Satan's. Satan wants to destroy your faith, but it's God who wants to use suffering to develop your faith. So the only question is this, what will you believe? Satan wants you to focus on the pain, God wants you to focus on his promises. And you receive healing from that injury by grace through faith in what God has said, no matter what you see. I wanna give you a promise right now, a promise from Isaiah 53 in verse five, look at what it says. But he, that's Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes or his scars we are healed. You see, Jesus bore his scars so that he can heal now our scars. The only question is this, will you believe that Jesus will do what he said he is able to do? Some of us believe. So that's always comes, what will you believe? You'll either believe what you see or you'll believe what God says. What you see is an injury, a wound that's been inflicted on you, a place of pain, a situation that you can't change. Now, what will you believe? This is what Jesus said. As he read from the Isaiah scroll in Luke chapter four, he said, the spirit of the Lord God has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, to heal the brokenhearted. And what this series is really about is to receive healing for the broken hearts inside of us. Will you believe Jesus has the power to heal your broken heart no matter how hard and hard the heart is broken? You see, that's what it comes down to. Because the reality is a scarred heart either becomes a hardened heart or a humbled heart. And a hardened heart is not a healthy heart. That's why there's so many unhealthy people in the world. But a softened heart, a humbled heart is a healthy heart. And that scar in your heart is gonna be one of two kinds of heart, either a hardened heart, hardened toward God, hardened toward people, or humbled heart toward God, humbled toward people. You see that suffering is either going to make you bitter or it's gonna make you better. And so the question is, will you believe what Jesus will do, what he said he is able to do? Now listen carefully. When I talk about you're saved by grace alone through faith alone, I don't just mean believing. I'm really talking about obeying because authentic belief is always reflected in obedience. See, it's one thing to know what God has said, but it's another thing to believe what God has said. There's not enough to know it. Most of us here would say, yeah, of course I believe it. Do you? Because the evidence of true belief is always faith in action, which is obedience in motion. All right, let me give you an example. For some of us here, our hearts have been deeply injured by another. Betrayal, abandonment, somebody loved us that walked away from us, they turned on us, and that injury was inflicted on our hearts. We now have a wound on the soul. And what happens when that wound is not treated by the Holy Spirit and bound up, so now that it's a scar, it's a wound that's been healed, is it begins to get infected. Did you know that unforgiveness and bitterness is a toxin for the soul? Unforgiveness and bitterness is an infection in the heart. So I haven't told you about this scar. I have a scar. Please don't examine me if you get a chance, all right? But I have a scar right here on top of my head. 
You can't hardly see it now, but it's there. I can, I can feel it. So if you've been here a long time, back about 2009, I came to church one Sunday. I had to preach with a great big bandage on top of my head. It was so embarrassing. Great big knot on top of my head. So I had been out the day previously in the yard doing yard work. It was a real, real windy day, and the wind literally blew a limb out of a tree like a spear. <laughs> Nailed me right in the head. You guys are laughing. This isn't funny. It did. Like, really? But that old devil, there's a, there was a demon up there going, <laughs> I don't know about that. I'm just pretending. But it did. It nailed me, almost knocked me out. I kind of come to, got blood rolling down my face, blood rolling down my shirt. I go in the house. My daughter's in middle school at the time. I'm not kidding. She looks at me. Her eyes get about this wide. And her first words were this. Is it a mortal wound? <laughs> Where does a middle schooler get that vernacular anyway? <laughs> and the first words out of my wife's mouth. You're bleeding all over the floor. So I go to the ER, and I get stitched up, five, six stitches, closes me up, sends me on down the road. Well, I realize after a few days, it's not healing, it's not getting better. A few weeks later, still hadn't healed, it's not getting better. In fact, it's getting infected. It's not healing. It's infected. I go to my primary care physician, he looks at it, he says, Phil, I think the ER doctor stitched you up with part of that tree still in your head. He did. I'm like sprouting leaves from the top of my head. <laughs> he says, I guarantee you got part of that limb still in your head. I'm going to send you to a plastic surgeon. He, he didn't want him to do it himself because he said, Phil, if I do it, I won't make it look good. And this is the number one thing you got going for you right here. This, I don't want to mess this up. I said, good. I don't want you to mess this up either. Okay. My one time ever to the plastic surgeon. So sure enough, he goes in there. He opens me up. He pulls a piece of bark out of the top of my head. It'd been in there for weeks. That's why it wouldn't heal. It was infected. He stitched me up. One more scar, many scars. Got a red badge of honor. Top of my head. Here's the point. If that wound is infected, it can't heal. All of our hearts have been injured through many, many years. I don't care who you are, eventually... Somebody takes a hatchet to your heart. And if not a hatchet, you know what it is for me sometimes? I feel like it's death by a thousand cuts. See, the devil doesn't care if it's one action in one day, hack your heart to pieces, or just one little cut at a time, one little jab at a time, one little cut at a time, death by a thousand cuts. He wants to injure your heart because an injured heart that doesn't heal becomes an unhealthy heart. What do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You put your faith in action, which is obedience in motion. Faith is never simply an emotion. Faith always demands a motion. What do you do when somebody's injured your heart? I'll tell you what you do. Ephesians 4.30, be kindly affectionate one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You see, Jesus and the New Testament commands that we forgive those who have injured us. But do you understand it's not so much about them as it is about you? See, you cannot be healthy as a human being if you're harboring bitterness or unforgiveness against another. 
You say, but Phil, I don't feel forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is a motion. You do it as an act of your will. It is a decision. God, you have commanded that I do this. I have faith in what you have said. Now I'm gonna put it in motion, even if they never accept responsibility, even if they never come and ask for forgiveness. I am so sorry. No, the reality is they may never even accept accountability, but you forgive them anyway as an act of your will. You say, God, I would kill him if I could. That's the honest prayer. Let's just be honest. God, I'd kill him if I could, but Jesus says I can't. Okay, I have to forgive. So God, I am giving them to you. They are no longer mine. I will hold this to their account no more. God, you're keeping accounts. I trust you to keep their account. No longer will I hold this to their account. I'm releasing them now to you. See, what you're doing is you're putting your faith in motion. What you're doing by a decision is you are forgiving them of the injury they inflicted on you. Forgiveness, you see, is not an emotion. It is a motion. And as you put forgiveness in motion, obedience in action, God's promise is eventually one day you wake up and you actually feel the emotion you realize you no longer are harboring bitterness against them and your heart is now healed. It's now finally healthy. But it's never a one and done. You have to do this over and over and over again. You put it in motion over and over and over again. Every single time you start to feel anger and you start to feel resentment and bitterness, you do it again. You repeat it again. And I'll promise one day, as you put your faith in motion, God will then give you the emotion and you realize this person can no longer injure your heart because they no longer hold it. This is how it works. This is how you find healing. All right, now look at what it says next. God comforts us in our suffering so he can use us to comfort others. Now Paul already said in verse three, remember what he said, that God comforted me so that we can comfort others with the same comfort with which we are comforted. Now look at what he says in verse six. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. See, when God takes you through suffering, it's never just for you, it's for others too. And so God can now use you to comfort others and their suffering as God has comforted you and your suffering. He says, now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation. You know what Paul is saying? Paul's saying, hey, we all basically suffer the same stuff because we all go through the same stuff. And God allows you to go through your stuff so that you can minister to others going through their stuff. And I want you to see this is always how it works in the body of Christ. This is why you cannot suffer well and be healthy. You will live forever with that injury and that wounding if you do it in anonymity. And a lot of us try to go solo. I told you about a scar I had last week. I have this to this day. It goes from here to here. A six-inch scar on the back of my shoulder. I still have a screw in my shoulder that long. I've had it for over 30 years. Football. University of Kansas. 1988. Practice. Shed a block. Shoulder pops out the back. That was painful, but I knew that was more than pain. That was an injury. Something is wrong. 
I go to my trainer that day after practice, tell him what happened. He looks at me and says, Phil, posterior dislocation is very uncommon. I got the message. Get back on the field, kid. Okay, I can play with pain. That was the culture of the, of the football program. Play with pain. Rub some dirt in it. The problem is, that season, I was doing more than playing with pain. I was playing injured. I've told you, you got to know the difference between playing with pain and when you're injured. We all have to play with pain. You cannot take yourself out of the game just because you're in pain. Life is painful. It's like football. It is a full contact sport, and you're going to get bruised, and there's times you're going to be bloodied, but you can't take yourself out of the game just because you're in pain. On the other hand, what I did is kept playing, not simply with pain, but with an injury. And that little injury kept getting to be a bigger injury and still a larger injury. That little tear became a bigger tear. By the end of that season, I could literally stand here, no contact. I could raise my arm. I could do this. When it got right to here, my shoulder would fall out of place. There was no longer anything holding it in place. You know why? Because the guy that should have taken it seriously didn't take it seriously. And sometimes I think we're guilty of that in the body of Christ. We have this mentality, hey, you got Jesus. What more do you need? Come on, get over it. What's the matter with you anyway? If you have enough faith, you ought to be over this by now. And that's just not true. We kind of, we kind of applaud this mentality of just pushing through, just grit and guts. And I'm trying to tell you, that is why the church at times is not a place of healing, it's a place of hiding. And it's time for some of us to come out of hiding and anonymity and admit the fact that we have more than pain, that there has in fact been an injury. And what God will do is he'll start the healing. It says in 1 John 1, 7, that if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. You see, what we're learning is that healing happens in community. It happens in truth and transparency. Healing always comes through truth and transparency in true biblical community. It never goes so low. It never has. Listen, you can be forgiven of your sin between God and you alone. But if you want to be healed of your sin, by his stripes we are healed. That comes in community. That's how you get healed of every injury. All the wounding that we go through in life. I told you a few months ago that my dad died this year. He died in March. And it was an injury on my soul. That's what happens when you lose somebody you love. There's an injury, a wounding takes place in your heart. There's an empty place now in your heart. There was a time of mourning. And I happened to make a statement in front of the congregation one Sunday that, you know, people had tried to comfort me with my memories. Well, Phil, you have your memories. And I know you'll find lots of comfort in the memories of your dad. And I remember saying this at the time, like, I'm not finding any comfort in the memories because the memories are just a reminder of what I've lost. And I remember saying that. And that week, two or three members of our congregation emailed me, people that had been up that mountain already, a mountain I'm now climbing for the first time. And here's what they said, Phil, I'll promise what's going to happen over time is you're going to be talking about your dad. You're going to be sharing a memory. And all of a sudden, when you're sharing that memory, you're going to laugh because it's a happy memory, maybe a funny story. You're going to find comfort in that memory. And a few weeks ago, I'm down in the basement where I work out with my son, Josh, and I'm telling a story about my dad. It was a funny story as I'm talking to my son about his granddad. I'm telling the story. All of a sudden, I laugh about the story, and I remember those emails somebody sent me. 
Sure enough, it's exactly like they said. They'd been through that place of pain already. They told me what I was gonna go through. See, I've moved from mourning for my dad to now missing my dad. You see the difference? Losing someone you love is always gonna be a place of pain. It'll always be a pain point in my life that my dad is no longer here. You gotta learn to play with pain. But there's a difference between mourning and missing. I think I've moved now from mourning for my dad to missing my dad. If you get stuck in mourning, you will forever remain unhealthy. You can't stay there. Don't get stuck there. You gotta move from the mourning to the missing. And you'll know when it begins to happen because all of a sudden you will find comfort in the memories. And here's what I want you to see. I wouldn't have known that except others had already been there before me. You see, it doesn't matter the injury. It always comes through truth and transparency in true biblical community. Uh, I'm about to celebrate 31 years of marriage with my wife. 31 years of marriage. October the 5th. Well, I'll tell you what, there never would have been 31 had there not been something that happened year 14. What my wife didn't know when we got married is she was not marrying a fully healthy human being because I did not have a fully healthy heart. Even I didn't know at the time. I didn't have the maturity to know then what I know now. Do you understand what sin is? Sin is simply a symptom of how people respond to a place of pain. You ever heard the cliche, hurt people hurt people? For the first 14 years of our marriage, I had hurt my wife again and again and again, unwittingly but I'd hurt her over and over again. Without understanding why, when you're in pain, your, your, your hand hits a hot stove, what do you do? You don't think about what to do, you just retreat from the pain. So what would happen through 14 years of marriage is my wife would do something to hurt me. Now no man wants to admit they're hurt, that's not macho, not bravado, okay? So what a man does when he's hurt is he either blows up, anger issues, or in my case, I would just retreat from the pain. I might not talk to my wife for three days. Now don't look at me like I'm the only one that's ever run that play. <laughs> I wrote about this in my first book, Defeating the Enemy. Do you understand the enemy wants to defeat you by lying to you and the lies you believe the youngest are the lies you believe the longest. What she did not know is that in my adolescence, I had received an injury on my soul, a wounded heart because of things that had happened to me, sin that had happened against me. I began believing a lie, not enough, not good enough, you will never measure up. And so when he, she would hit that injured heart, I would simply retreat until one night I heard her weeping in the night. Instead of turning away, which I always did, and wake up the next day and give her the silent treatment, that night I turned in. And for the first time in 14 years of marriage, I actually began to get honest. I actually began to connect some dots. Why do I keep hurting my wife? Why do I keep hurting someone I love? I'll tell you why. Because inside of my grown man's body was a middle schooler's heart that had never healed. And church, the reality is I don't care how old you are, there's still a middle schooler heart inside of us all. And in some case, we received an injury in adolescence. We believed a lie from the enemy. 
And that pain point comes out in a pattern of sin again and again and again and again. Only when you walk in the light as he is in the light will you, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. This is why we have something called regen to break those patterns of sin and connect that pattern with that pain. This is why we have abundant life groups. Listen, if you're in a group and I hope that you are, it needs to be more than just a glorified Bible study in churches like ours. It's easy to be hide behind our Bible study. You know why? Because we don't have to talk about ourselves then. And we believe in Bible study. I mean, we just got done with a verse-by-verse study through the book of Daniel. We believe in Bible study, but do you understand, for a lot of us, when we go to our small group, we talk about the Bible for two hours because we don't have to talk about ourselves. And I want you to see that healing is when you begin to come out of hiding. Listen, if you're in a group, it's more than just another potluck. Who's going to bring the dessert? Who's going to bring the side? No, it's about true fellowship. And that only happens when we're walking in honesty and truth and transparency. That's when the healing begins for that wounded heart inside of us all. It says this in verse 11, you also, Paul says, helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. You see what Paul's teaching? He says, I got up that mountain of pain because so many people were praying for us. I got up that mountain of pain and suffering because so many others were bearing our burdens. Do you understand what true community is meant for? Why God gave us a church family and we are called Christ's body? Because it says in Galatians 6 and verse 2 that we are to bear one another's burdens. And so we fulfill the law of Christ. We all bear a heavy burden going through this world that has been cursed by sin. But I want you to know that burden is not as heavy when many people are bearing that burden with us. I hope you have somebody in your life, maybe a group of people, that you can be completely honest with. The church is not a place of shame and condemnation. There's not one among us that hasn't passed through the same stuff because we all live in the same place and we're all made of the same thing. Number three is this, God promises deliverance in the suffering and eventually from suffering. Keep your eye on the prize in the middle of the pain. Look what Paul does now. He's just gonna have himself a glory spell, all right? Verse eight, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength so that we despaired even of life. Have you ever been in so much pain you did not care if you lived or died? Two years ago, I had some oral surgery. It got infected. Doctor said, you're in the 1%, Phil. Great, I get to be in the 1%. And it was so infected, I was in so much pain. Four times he goes in and fillets the inside of my mouth like a fish. (laughs) I mean, I was in so much pain for so long. I mean, at one point, I didn't care if I lived or died, really. Have you ever been there in life like it is so hard, you don't care if you lived or died? That is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was saying, we despaired even of life. He literally didn't know if he was going to survive. 
He said, yes, we had the sentence of death. He was a hunted man. He was a hated man. He was a persecuted man. He literally did not know if he would live to see another day. He says, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves. What is God doing in times of suffering? He's trying to shake you loose from self-sufficiency where even the apostle Paul could say, we would not dare hope in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Listen, you might be in a place where you think I will never be able to live again. Life as I know it is forever over. And I want you to know we have a God that raises the dead, that your life is not over. No matter what you've been through, no matter how hard it is, God is able to restore, to repair, to redeem, and resurrect that which has died. Because he's that kind of your God. It's just what he does. He says, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us and in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. You see what Paul is saying? Our God delivered us and is still delivering us and will still continue to deliver us. Do you know that Jesus is a savior that keeps on saving? He didn't save you one day from your sin and then walk away and said the rest is on you. No, he's a God that keeps saving every single day. Romans 10 and verse 13, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He saved us over and over and over again. When you call upon his name, he saves you again and again and again and again. He is a God that keeps on saving every single day over and over again. He has delivered us. He is delivering us and he will continue to deliver us no matter what you're going through. And you too will look back one day at that mountain and go, I cannot believe the mountain I crossed. I thought I was gonna die on that mountain. <laughs> but God delivered us. God delivered me. What Paul is doing is he is employing a weapon against depression and despair. I had an old school mother. She taught me this weapon as a little child. Old school moms, I wish there was more of them. She did not allow wimps and whiners in her house. No poochy lips complaining. And every single time I start to complain, I'll never forget what she would say. Count your blessings. Oh, I hated that. So she sometimes, count your blessings, name them one by one. I hated that song. Count your blessings, see what God has done. I hated it. She was teaching me though, something I never forgot. In the hottest battles, count your blessings. See, Satan wants you to focus on what you don't have. God says focus on what you do have. Satan wants you to focus on what God hasn't done. God wants you to focus on what he has done. If you're going through a difficult time, I challenge you this week, get out of bed every single morning, write five things down for which you are thankful. And you thank God for those five things throughout your day. It will begin to change your attitude. Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 10 says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You can have joy even when you're not happy. You know why? Because happiness depends on happenings. And there are times the happenings aren't happy. But did you know that joy depends only on Jesus? And when you've lost everything else, you can't lose Jesus. See, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And when you start to count your blessings, you will start to feel the joy of the blesser. 
It's a weapon. That's what Paul is now doing. He's employing this weapon of thanksgiving and worship. And right now, I want to employ this weapon of thanksgiving and worship. Wherever you're watching from, maybe at the other campuses, I want the response team to come. Right here in this campus of Lee Summit, I want the prayer team, response team to come. Maybe you're a church house from somewhere around the country. Church house leaders, just prepare to pray right now. As we begin to worship, I'm going to pray when I say amen. If you're going through a season of suffering, I want you to come immediately to this altar and we're gonna pray. We're gonna bear each other's burdens. That's what we're called to do as the body of Christ. You make your move. God's made his move. Would you stand with me right now? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are the deliverer that keeps on delivering. That you're healing and the healer, and by your stripes, we are healed. And we are being healed. And I pray for each person under the sound of my voice that they would walk out of anonymity. No more hiding. That they would find healing we would bear each other's burdens today and so fulfill the law of Christ. Come quickly, come quickly.
voice, especially those right here at this altar. I pray blessing over them. I pray your grace would abound upon them. I pray a double portion of your spirit that the God of all comfort would comfort, that the helper, the Holy Spirit would fill them this week, that they could suffer long and run this race well. I pray God in heaven that they would focus on the promise and not the pain, that they remember what you said no matter what they see, that God, your grace would be great upon their life and that they would heal. And by your stripes, we claim this promise that you can heal every broken heart, that you can resurrect every dead thing, that your name is greater than depression, your name is greater than addiction. Your name is greater than every single form of captivity, every lie of the enemy. Now I pray that today would be the day that people would walk out of hiding and find healing. That this week they would employ the weaponry of thanksgiving. And remember that our warfare it's in our worship. So let's do that right now. Let's worship our God together. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. And all my days I've been Moment that I wake up until I lay my head, oh, I will see all the goodness of God. We'll sing about His goodness, too.
Savior a hand today. Give him glory, would you? He is so worthy, isn't he? He's a God that keeps on saving. He's going to deliver again and again and again. And one day, we're going to get to finish our race. Guess what the Apostle Paul said when he hit the finish line? I have kept the faith. I have finished my race. And I have fought the good fight. I cannot think of a better way. I love you so very much, and I hope you have a super blessed Sunday. God bless you. God go with you. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.